Greetings, Earthlings. Jen here. As you could probably tell by the lack of intro music, this is not the season four premiere of So Dead, although that is coming soon. I just wanted to hop on really quickly because I'm really excited about something that is happening this week, and that is the premiere of the new Scream movie. Official release date is January 14th, but there are early screenings on the 13th, so really in a couple of days this movie is going to be out there for all of us to enjoy. I've heard really great things about it. As most of you know, Scream is my favorite movie. I even opened and dedicated an entire gift shop to it. So um, back in January of 2020, I did a Patreon episode about the true story that inspired the Scream movies. So in celebration of the new movie release, I wanted to share that episode with you all. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you've already got your tickets for the movie and uh, be ready for season four of So Dead. It's coming soon, February 15th. I'll see you then. Until then, keep shining, you magnificent what the fucks. Oh, and enjoy the throwback theme music because this is, again, a pretty old episode. It's from the beginning of 2020. So, yeah, have fun. This is a Scream Queen production. And this is So Dead Podcast. Happy February, Deadheads. What better way to kick off season two than with a bonus episode just for my wonderful patrons? That's you guys. When you cross state lines during the commission of a crime, it becomes a federal offense. On So Dead, I tell stories about Michigan. For these federal offense bonus features, I'll be telling you guys stories from other places around the country. Maybe even the world. Uh, You probably don't remember this, but way back in like June or July, uh, I did a poll through the Patreon page asking what state you'd like me to cover first. And you all, of course, chose Florida. I mean, is there really a better state than that for true crime stories? I spent so much time trying to pick a story. It's Florida. Where do you even begin? But then it came to me, as it always does. Um, So today I'm going to tell you guys about the case that inspired my very favorite scary movie, Scream. Do you like scary movies? I went, (laughs) sorry, I'm sorry. I wish I had one of those little voice changers to make me sound like Ghostface because that would have been way funnier just now. Instead, it was just super lame and I apologize. Um, All right, here we go. Over a three-day period in August 1990, an unknown assailant terrorized the University of Florida campus in Gainesville, brutally murdering five college students within a two-mile radius. Much like in the movie Scream, classes were canceled, a curfew was imposed, and everyone was on high alert. Students in dorms and rented apartments slept in shifts so that someone was awake at all times. There would be 12, 20 people to a room. Uh, Nobody wanted to be alone. Nobody went out alone. Students began carrying weapons, uh, mostly baseball bats and mace. Within about a week of the murders, thousands of students fled campus, fearing for their lives. Over 700 of them never returned. And then, just as quickly as the violence began, it ended. It would be two weeks before the killer was arrested on an unrelated charge, and months before he would be found out to be the Gainesville Ripper. August 26, 1990 was a Sunday. It was the day before classes were scheduled to begin for the fall semester at the University of Florida. 
students were still settling into their dorms and apartments, getting acquainted with campus, and getting acquainted with one another. Translation? Parties. Lots of parties, mixers, underage drinking, and basically the type of chaos you'd expect on a college campus with over 35,000 students the weekend before classes started. Gainesville was a college town, just like East Lansing here is a college town. So those of you who are local can, I'm sure, picture this whole scene very easily. I wonder if they liked to burn couches there the way that we like to burn couches in East Lansing. No? Hope not. So what I'm trying to say is the police were busy, obviously, out in full force that whole weekend trying to keep those crazy college kids in order. So they were none too happy, I'm sure, to have to respond to a simple noise complaint in the middle of a Sunday afternoon. An officer arrived to the Williamsburg Village Apartments in Gainesville around 4 p.m. on August 26th on a report of loud music coming from a second floor apartment. When he arrived, he discovered that things weren't quite as simple as a noise complaint. Waiting for him were the maintenance man and the parents of one of the girls living in the apartment, 17-year-old Christina Powell from Jacksonville. Christina's parents were concerned. No one had heard from their daughter or her roommate, 18-year-old Sonia Larson from Deerfield Beach, Florida, since Friday. Christina's car was parked out front of the apartment, but she wasn't answering her phone or the door, and she knew her parents were coming to visit. So the police officer and the maintenance man forced their way into the apartment and immediately smelled the stench of death. It was determined that in the early morning hours of August 24th, a man followed Christina and Sonia home. From where? I don't know. None of the articles that I read said. I mean, I would assume a party, but... Who knows, they could have just been walking home from Target or getting something to eat. Uh, But it was late at night, they were walking home, someone followed them, and they didn't see him. Armed with a pistol and a military-grade knife called a K-bar, the man broke into the apartment once the girls were asleep. He found Christina sleeping on the downstairs couch. He stood there and watched over her for a couple minutes, then headed upstairs, where he found Sonia asleep in her bed. He wrapped duct tape around her mouth to keep her quiet and stabbed her 27 times. He then posed her body in a sexually explicit position and headed back downstairs to where Christina was still sleeping. He used duct tape to stifle Christina's screams and bind her wrists. He cut off her clothes, raped her, and stabbed her five times in the back. He posed her in a sexually explicit position, took a shower, took an apple and a banana from the refrigerator, and left the apartment, where the girls would remain for the entire weekend before their bodies were found late in the day on Sunday. Before police were even finished processing this crime scene, it happened again. Christina and Sonia's bodies were found just after 4 p.m. on Sunday, August 26th. That night, 18-year-old student Krista Hoyt didn't show up for her midnight shift at the sheriff's department, where she worked as a records clerk. Obviously concerned, given what the police had been dealing with that day, officers went to Krista's apartment about 12.30 a.m. Monday morning, a half hour after her shift was supposed to start, and found a familiar scene. Her car was out front, but she wasn't answering the door for the maintenance man who was waiting outside. The doors were locked, but they were able to see through an open space in the blinds. Krista's dead body was propped up on her bed, blood pooled at her feet. She'd been decapitated, and her head had been posed on a shelf facing the corpse. 
It would later be revealed that after watching Krista shower and towel off through a window, a man broke into her home on the morning of Saturday, August 25th, while she wasn't home. He waited in the living room for her to return, which she did around 11 a.m. He attacked her from behind, putting her in a chokehold, before using duct tape to cover her mouth and bind her wrists. He dragged her to the bedroom, cut off her clothes, raped her, and stabbed her to death before decapitating her and posing her corpse in a shocking manner. That's three teenage girls found murdered within eight hours of one another. The news spread like wildfire, and an overwhelming sense of dread and panic took over the town of Gainesville. Phone lines were jammed with frightened students trying to call home and panicked parents trying to reach their children. The start of the semester was postponed, and students were told that they wouldn't be penalized if they went home or didn't show up for class. Thousands did leave. I mean, could you even imagine that fear? Um, moving away from home for college and starting this new life as a grown-up for the first time, that's scary enough. And then the day before college is supposed to start, the day before classes are starting in your new world, in your new life, when you're out on your own, all of a sudden your peers are being murdered brutally. Um, that would be fucking terrifying. So... Um, yeah, thousands of people left. The ones that stayed, they stayed in groups. They armed themselves. Police were patrolling the streets in full force. Helicopters soared overhead. Um, it was a whole scene, but it still was not enough to stop the violence. Krista's body was found in the early morning hours of Monday, August 27th. That night, the attacker struck again. He broke into the home of 23-year-old roommates Tracy Pauls and Manny Taboda. He went after Manny first so that he could have his way with Tracy without being interrupted. He found Manny, a six foot three former football player who weighed over 200 pounds, asleep in his bed. He stabbed Manny in the abdomen with such force that the knife went clear through and came out his back. Manny woke up, of course, and began to put up a fight. The attacker stabbed him close to 30 times. The struggle woke Tracy up, who interrupted the attack. She ran into the bathroom and locked the door, but the attacker broke down the door, bound Tracy with duct tape, cut off her clothing, and raped her for several hours before stabbing her to death. Her last words were, You're the one, aren't you? Tracy and Manny's bodies were found on Tuesday, August 28th. So the murders happened within three days of one another, and then the bodies were found within three days of one another, but a, a few days later. Um, that's weird, but that's how it happened. With the news of the other two attacks, friends were checking in with each other, checking on everyone they knew, and a friend who couldn't get a hold of Tracy and Manny started to worry. So he asked another friend who lived nearby to go and check on them. That friend went to the apartment and asked the maintenance man to let him in um, or to, you know, unlock the door so that he could take a look around, which normally that probably would have been a big, you know, fuck you, buddy. That's not happening. But everyone was on high alert. So the maintenance man and the friend went to the apartment together without waiting for the police and opened the door. Immediately upon opening the door, they saw Tracy's bloody, sexually posed body in the hallway beside a black duffel bag. The maintenance man closed the door, locked it, and he and the friend ran outside to call the police. When the police arrived, the apartment door was now unlocked again. The black duffel bag was gone. 
meaning that the killer had still been in that apartment when the maintenance man and the friend opened the door. So now we've got five people murdered in a span of three days. All of the girls were petite brunettes with brown eyes. Um, A massive search was underway for the Gainesville Ripper, but police had not a whole lot to go on. Ten days after the last murder, on September 7th, 1990, a middle-aged, tall white guy walked into the Winn-Dixie in Ocala, Florida, about 40 miles from Gainesville, and pulled out a gun. He screamed, this is a robbery. Get your money out. Police gave chase as he fled the scene, and they took the man into custody on an armed robbery charge a short time later. That man was 36-year-old Danny Rowling, a six-foot-two Shreveport, Louisiana native with a violent past. Danny was born in 1954 to an abusive police officer father and a mother who suffered from mental illness. He began abusing drugs and alcohol as a preteen and committed his first crime at the age of 14. He was caught peeping into a neighbor girl's bedroom window. Fucking pervert. Uh, As a teenager, he was arrested several times on robbery charges. He enlisted in the Air Force when he turned 18. He got married. He had a daughter and he regularly attended church. But in 1977, after four years of marriage, Rowling's wife divorced him when he threatened to kill her. Reasonable. Um, And then his downward spiral continued. In 1977, Danny raped a woman that closely resembled his ex-wife and killed another woman in a car accident. He was in and out of jail over the years for petty crimes, thefts, armed robberies, Um, in several different states, Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, and Alabama. He broke out of prison multiple times. He had a hard time keeping a job. I would think that he would have a hard time getting a fucking job with that record. And in May of 1990, Rawlings shot his 58-year-old father during an altercation, once in the face and once in the stomach. The elder Rawlings survived, but he lost an ear and an eye. On the run to escape attempted murder charges, Danny assumed a stolen identity using papers he stole after breaking into a home. He arrived in Sarasota, Florida in July of 1990, where he began a new life as Michael Kennedy Jr. A month later, the Gainesville murders began. Once in custody for the armed robbery of the Winn-Dixie, Danny Rowling confessed to being the Gainesville Ripper. His motive was to become a superstar like Ted Bundy, who had just been executed the year before. In February of 1994, the day before his trial was set to begin, Rowling pled guilty to five counts of first-degree murder and three counts of sexual battery and armed robbery. At his hearing, he said, I've been running from first one thing and then another all my life, whether problems at home or with the law or from myself. But there are some things you just can't run from, and this being one of those. A month later, he was given five death sentences. I only wish they could have killed him five fucking times. While on death row, Rowling confessed to a triple murder in his hometown of Shreveport. On November 4th, 1989, 24-year-old Julie Grissom was at home with her father, William, who was 55, and her nephew, Sean, who was 8, when a man broke into their apartment as they were preparing dinner. All three were stabbed to death, Julie was raped, and her body was sexually posed. Daniel Rowling was executed by lethal injection at Florida State Prison on October 25, 2006, as the families of his victims looked on from the gallery. 
While in prison, Rowling made and sold art and music and wrote a book with a super fucking gross true crime writer by the name of Sandra London, who fell in love with and got engaged to Rowling while he was on death row. Hence the super fucking gross part. Shortly after the Gainesville murders, aspiring screenwriter Kevin Williamson used the case as inspiration for a screenplay he was writing about a series of murders in a college town. That screenplay eventually became the 1996 slasher flick Scream, directed by Wes Craven. And because you guys know I have to tie everything back to Michigan in some way or another, um, Matthew Lillard, who starred in Scream as Stu Macher, uh, spoiler alert, one of the killers if you haven't seen it, but that movie is, you know, 20-something years old now, so if you haven't seen it, that's not my problem. Matthew Lillard... <laughs> Matthew Lillard, uh, was actually born in my hometown of Lansing, Michigan. So he is from Michigan. So that's it, Deadheads. The first federal offense episode and the first bit of content for 2020. What do you guys think? Be sure to sound off in the comments. Uh, the new season of So Dead officially begins on February 11th. So it is less than two weeks away. And then for you guys, it'll be even sooner than that. Um, the first episode will drop on So Dead Sunday, February 9th. So you guys just got, you know, eight more days or so. Until then, keep shining, you magnificent what the fucks. Oh, shit. God, I'm so bad at this. Um, my sources for this bonus episode were an article written by William DeLong for AllThat'sInteresting.com in 2018. Um, my Favorite Murder, episode 133, Made of Crystals. Georgia told the story of the Gainesville Ripper. Uh, Wikipedia, always. An article written by Jim Leisner on March 8th, 1994 for the Orlando, Orlando Sentinel. For the Orlando Sentinel. Um, find a Grave. An article written by Benjamin Smith on January 15th, 2019 for Oxygen.com. Now get out there and shine, you magnificent what-the-fucks. Mm -hmm.